Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the managing editor at ShareBlue Media. That's at shareblue.com on the internet. Uh, thanks for joining us. We have a lot of exciting stuff going on today for you. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making on and going on. And first of all, let me just say thank you for coming in. It's your first time in the guest host chair, right? It is. I get to sit in the big girl's chair today. You're in the big girl's chair today. You're the last time you were here. I believe we had a surprise visit from Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's, who just like magically showed up. With ice cream. Yeah. Where's my ice cream, Peter? So who knows what could happen today <laughs> is my point. Who knows? Anything could happen when you're here. Uh, we're very happy to have you there. Uh, well, let's let's talk about some other stories that are making news. You know, it's the holiday season. Now that uh, Halloween is over, basically, we jump right into Christmas. It's war on Christmas time. Exactly. It's, it's, it's time for the war on Christmas. Well, SunTrust actually did a study to find out whether or not people were in favor of giving gifts during the holiday season. Where do you stand on this? Uh, I mean, did they also ask if people like getting gifts? <laughs> they did, actually. Do you <laughs> like giving or receiving gifts to your friends and family? What they found was kind of shocking. Seven out of ten people say that they are in favor of skipping gifts. 70%. Do you have the list of names and is it anyone <laughs> I know? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have that. I like giving gifts. I also like receiving gifts, but I like to give I gifts. Do too, but you know, any time of year is a good time to give a gift to somebody you care about. To say, hey, I like you. Have something. Look at you. You're like you're like the outlier on this survey. You're <laughs> way out there. You're not even you're just gifts year round, not even just during the holiday. Well, they say that because of financial stress and just the stress of, you know, having to buy a gift for someone that they may or may not like. You don't want to have to. That's the other thing, right? You don't want to deal with that. It's a lot of pressure. 
And they say the average consumer is expected to spend $637.67 on gifts this year. That is according to the National Retail Federation. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. So you're going to spend over over $600 to get your friends and family gifts during the holidays. I don't know. Maybe I'm coming around. Maybe. You know what? Save the money and then just tell anybody who complains. I read this study and I assumed that you were part of it. So. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, yesterday, a student at the, te- at the University of uh, Texas A&M, her name is Tiffany Easter, she went to uh, the airport in Houston, and she was getting on her plane, and she noticed that there were two very notable people getting on the plane with her. Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke were both booked on the same plane <laughs> at the same airport just a week after their Senate race ended. Now, she actually, I give her credit, she went up to both of them and said, can I get a picture with both of you together? I, they, is she a moderate? She, <laughs> she's a blue dog Democrat, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but she, they actually agreed. They said, yes, sure, fine. She posted the photo up on her Facebook page and onto Twitter. It's her in the middle with Beto O'Rourke on one side and Ted Cruz on the other. They're smiling. She said they were very cordial with each other uh, and that they were... It was a very nice encounter. Now, isn't that nice? Isn't that a nice story? Aww, that's that sweet. Just, yeah, just make not in a million smile. years, but yeah. very sweet for her. Yeah, no, I would never. <laughs> that's a good question. If you're at the airport, because I would want to get a picture taken with Beto O'Rourke. Sure. But the rule is, the the, the the caveat is, you have to get a picture with Ted Cruz at the same time. I what mean, if do you, you can do, make a face, shot? you know, roll your eyes, bunny ears behind right. Ted Cruz, something like that. Right. But. It's a, it's a big price to pay to get a photo with Beto O'Rourke, to have to get one with Ted Cruz as well. And also, by the way, it's cold outside. Uh, winter storms up and down the East Coast yesterday. More snow, more rain, more ice will lead to power outages and travel disruptions over a large portion of the northeastern United States. Uh, we got our first snow here in Washington, D.C. yesterday, and uh, it just kept moving up north. It's going to be... I mean, New York got snow yesterday as well, but there's going to be more today. So be safe out there. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning again. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray, managing editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. That's where we cover political news from a progressive point of view and make sure that we are holding Trump and the Republicans accountable for all of the terrible, horrible, awful, no good, very bad things they do. So, um, big news out of California last night. Very exciting. And not just because I'm a native Californian, but because I'm a, an American and a, and a patriot. Um, Democrats picked up another seat in the House, California 45, where longtime Congresswoman Mimi Walters, a horrible, terrible Republican, officially lost. This is pretty exciting. Mimi Walters was uh, one of the Republicans who, of course, voted repeatedly to repeal Obamacare, voted for the horrible tax scam that gave secretaries across America an extra buck 50 in their paycheck and millions and billions and trillions and zillions of dollars to million millionaires and billionaires and but i got a costco membership right so so mimi walters um big big trump fan she went down 
And Katie Porter, very exciting, is going to be the new Democratic Congresswoman for the 45th Congressional District in California. Mimi Walters, earlier this week, as the votes were being counted, had the audacity to claim that Democrats were trying to steal her seat um, by virtue of not voting for her. So that seat has now officially been stolen from Mimi Walters by the voters who decided to fire her. Thieves! So long, Mimi <laughs> Walters. Sorry to see you go. As one of my colleagues at Share Blue, Dan Martin likes to say, Walters falters. And now she has failed. That's very good, actually. Very good. You know, you're a native Californian. I am. Uh, Bill used to be the head of the Democratic Party in California, and he talks about all the time when he was the chair, how he would have to go behind the red curtain. When you go to Orange County, right, is there are certain weird little pockets in California for as much as we make uh, the, the media, particularly, about how blue California is. There are very, very, very red portions of California. There are. And, you know, here's a fun fact. Excuse me. Excuse oh, me. Sorry. Were. Were exactly. Very red parts of so Orange County is now Blue County. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty fascinating, and you know it started in 2016 when um, somebody you might be familiar with, Hillary Clinton, actually won that part of California, and we could sort of see it on the horizon. Oh wow, this really red part of California is maybe not going to be so red anymore. And Democrats rather strategically decided, hey, if Hillary Clinton can win that part of California. Maybe other Democrats can, too. Why don't we fire all of those horrible Republican members of Congress? And that's exactly what Democrats yeah. did this year. I mean, the Republican Party in California was essentially wiped out last week. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all but extinct at this point. And if you look at what has happened, and I mean, you can just see the smile you on my see, face yeah, right now. You look now. so happy if you report this. I love it. Um, you know, in, in the Senate race, they couldn't even get a candidate into the Senate race. The Senate race was between two Democrats. They, <laughs> they had a, a guy running for governor and people were like, oh, there's a Republican in this race? He did not win. Gavin Newsom is going to be the governor of California. Um, and I, I believe that Democrats have picked up at least six House seats in California, and they're still counting, and, and there might be more to come. Yeah, that's the other thing. So... That's the other thing. You know, we, we talked the morning after the election, we came on the air, and people were really down on how the Democrats performed because I think there were a lot of uh, sort of uh, marquee races that we really, really, really wanted to win, right? right? Like, we wanted to beat Ted Cruz. We wanted Andrew Gillum to be the governor. We wanted uh, Bill Nelson to be the senator in Florida. Those, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, right. those didn't necessarily, and then they're still being recounted, so who knows what could happen, but they did not necessarily go our way, right? But right. still, we were saying, we picked up 26 seats. 26 seats in the House. Now we have control of the House. That's a big deal. That was just over a week ago, we're now up to 36 seats. 36. And still counting. And still counting, <laughs> which is crazy. Right. I mean, I, you know, so, so, like, everybody's saying for a year, oh, it's going to be a blue wave for Democrats, blue wave for Democrats. Everybody's saying it except for, you know, Donald Trump, President Dum Dum, who is saying, oh, it's going to be a red wave. No. No, it's not. Not close. Um, and then, you know, on election night, people were, you know, saying, well, Democrats won, I guess, but it wasn't really a blue wave. And now you've seen in the you know week and a half since the election, you know, the traditional media is sort of reluctantly saying, I guess it was a blue wave, wasn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. It sure was. Democrats completely, totally killed and slaughtered it on Election Day and and still counting. Yeah, I, we played this clip earlier this week, but this was on CNN and this was exactly one week after the election. And again, we spent nearly a week sort of doing what liberals do, hand-wringing and beating ourselves up about right. how poorly we performed. But John King on CNN put it very clearly. The Senate map, not as good for Republicans as they thought. The Democrats picking up governorships. The Democrats will take back the House. The only question now is the margin. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who say, is this a blue wave? This is a blue wave. This was a blue wave. It, this was a blue absolutely wave. absolutely was. Yeah. So amazing night and, and an amazing week for Democrats. And, you know, the victories that we have continued to rack up since that Tuesday, right? Like we picked up another Senate seat in Arizona. Arizona, the place that sent us John McCain and Jeff Flake. We have Jeff Flake's seat now and it's blue. How great is it that Donald Trump bullied Jeff Flake out of his Senate seat and then ended it? Yeah, right? I it, mean, it, it's, it a, is, it's a chef's kiss it's moment. It's a total chef's kiss moment. It's Completely. so sweet that he compl- – it's a total self-own. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jeff Flake – Right. Like one of the weakest members of the Senate. So he likes to, you know, tweet sternly worded tweets and give speeches and say he's going to be real tough and stand up to Trump. And I think he wrote a book about, oh, I'm Jeff Flake. I'm really tough on Trump. Vote for me. But not in this race because I'm running away like a coward. And I mean, now he's just a completely useless, lame duck senator. And he's still getting kind of embarrassed and owned. And, you know, he now his thing before he's he's officially done in the Senate is he's saying, oh, well, I'm going to stand up for the Mueller investigation. Right. And um He's still getting made fun of about that, right? I think there's a great clip that you had played yesterday, just just owning Jeff Flake. It's so good. Can, can we because, listen to that yeah, again, no, totally. please? I just, so, so Jeff Flake, his new thing is this protection for Robert Mueller bill, right? Which Mitch McConnell was just like, get out of here. I'm not going to do yeah. that, obviously. I'm a Republican. He's a Republican. Screw you. Yeah, we're not, we're, this is not going to happen. So Jeff Tubin went on CNN and just... I, I don't know how many times you can get wrecked in a 15-second clip, but Jeff <laughs> Tubin just it. destroys him. Is there anything more empty in American politics than a threat from Jeff Flake, who has made his entire career by folding every time Mitch McConnell breathes hard? I mean, Mitch McConnell is going to squash Jeff Flake like a bug, as he always does. I mean, that is just some, some tasty, tasty ownage. It's so good. And so it's, but it's, I mean, it's so good, but it's also incredibly true. What yeah. has Jeff Flake ever actually done to fight Donald Trump? Absolutely nothing. nothing. And, and, you know, this is this is a maneuver that Jeff Flake had talked about months ago, right, where Jeff Flake had said that he is not going to support any of Trump's judicial nominees until he you know gets his way in an extra scoop of ice cream. And then um, Brett Kavanaugh attempted rapist, is nominated to the Supreme Court. And Jeff Flake is like, oh, well, well, I didn't mean that guy. I'm not going to stand in the way of that guy. Like, but here's your moment. Here's the thing, Jeff Flake, that you were talking about where you can actually exert some power and have some leverage. And and here you go. What better opportunity to hold Trump accountable than when he's trying to put some terrible person on the Supreme Court? And Jeff Flake is like, no, 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 no. I, it was another guy, not yeah, me. Right. I mean, look, there, there's something very easy that that. Uh, these guys can do, whether it's Jeff Flake or uh, Susan Collins or uh, Ben's ass who tries to act like they're all above 
Donald Trump's rhetoric. Right. If they don't like it, caucus with the Democrats. Switch your party affiliation. Yeah. I mean, if you really honestly think that this is as serious as you like to uh, claim it is by, you know, clutching your pearls and, you know, writing stern words or, or, or giving a stern speech, you could do something. Yeah. You could do something. You guys actually you are power. in power. Yeah, you have you're, that power. You're in control here. Yeah. But, you know, they they don't really disagree with him. They don't like the way that he delivers the message, but they don't disagree with the message and they've all made that very clear over and over and over again and it's how the republicans ended up with trump as their nominee as their president and it's why he's still running roughshod over them and it's why trump still has a job and jeff flake doesn't yeah pretty much uh, <laughs> pretty much but you know the sad thing is that it's not just republicans who can be kind of weak and wimpy there's this horrible thing going on in the democratic party too um where Democrats have an amazing election night, right? And we're going to take the House back. And Nancy Pelosi, who is indisputably the greatest speaker of the House in the modern era, is going to get her gavel back and do wonderful things for us again. And you've got this group of Democrats, mostly dudes, who have said, we don't want her to be speaker. We don't have any other ideas. We don't have any um, other people we would like to have in that role. We just don't want it to be her. Um, there are a lot of reasons that you could say they have a problem with her. I think that Pelosi herself had an idea of what the issue might be. I think we have a clip of that. If, in fact, there is any misogyny involved in it, it's their problem, not mine. That's the best. Amazing. That's you know, such a good clip. And here's the, here's the thing about Nancy Pelosi that I think people don't realize because she is not like Donald Trump. So she's not constantly patting herself on the back for all of the amazing things that Obama actually did. Um, she has here. Here's just like a, a, a brief list of some of the legislation that Nancy Pelosi made happen for us. Um, Lily Ledbetter, Fair Pay Act. Um, the economic stimulus, that, that's the thing that kind of saved America from the brink after George Bush, the, the thing that turned us around, the thing that Trump now likes to claim credit for somehow. Dream Act, that's Nancy Pelosi. Um, Employee Free Choice Act, Fair Sentencing Act, Disclose Act. Uh, repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell so that people can serve in the military, even if they're gay, and serve their country. Um, oh, oh, right. And a little, a little thing that you might have heard of called... Called Obamacare. That was also Nancy Pelosi. So she has done amazing things for America. And for some reason, this group of uh, so-called Democrats, uh, mostly men, Seth Moulton is kind of the leader of this uh, group, are saying that they think it is time for Nancy Pelosi to step aside and let somebody new take over, which is an interesting argument to make when things are going badly. But Nancy Pelosi had a killer night on Election Day, right? And she took back the House. She raises more money than anybody else for Democrats. She helps them get elected. She helps pass amazing legislation that Americans actually want and need. She does a phenomenal job. She's so good at what she does. She's an effective leader even when she's in the minority. That's something Paul Ryan can't say. That's something Newt Gingrich couldn't say. John Boehner was literally chased out of town when he was speaker. Um, Denny Haster chased out of town and then eventually had to go to prison. Um, I, it, it's really amazing that Democrats are 
kind of shooting themselves in the foot after this amazing victory by trying to pick a fight with Nancy Pelosi that they're going to lose. Yeah, that, that's that, that I think is the inevitable thing here. There's there's so much hand wringing that's been done over the last couple of days of, oh, she could actually lose. Oh, she might not get. She's going to win. She's going to win. She's going to win. Right. And And I will say, I think that there are a couple of things that can be true at the same time. Should Democrats be slightly concerned that there is not a ton of new blood in their leadership? Yes. yes. That should be a very serious concern for Democrats. Should you then put one of these untested new blood candidates in the most important, highest ranking Democratic job that we have right now? No. Right. No, it doesn't make any sense. You go with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Right? And it's and actually Pelosi a hard very job. Clearly knows what she's doing. It's ask Paul Ryan. <laughs> ask Paul right. Ryan. It's a very hard job. Paul Ryan had his guy in the White House. Uh, his party in the Senate, and he still couldn't get anything done, Nothing. right? Nothing. So Paul Ryan had to quit and leave. And, you know, and don't forget, Speaker of the House, you're not just talking about being the leader of the party, right? You're talking about being the leader of Congress, and you're talking about being second in line to the presidency. I think that's actually a job that we have learned does require some experience. Absolutely. No, I, I, I cannot think of anybody else that I would feel more comfortable with in that job than Nancy Pelosi. That being said... She does have a couple of other people that work under her that I would be fine to see go. Right? Agreed. Steny right. Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, I think they're great. They've done wonderful things for the party. Now is a great time to start bringing some other people up. Right. Under her. Right. Under her. You know, and I got to replacing say, her. Democrats um, made history by electing more women than like ever. And, you know, in the House, we're sending women to the Senate in state legislatures across the country. It's very exciting. It would be it would be great to see some more women in positions of leadership because we've we've got a lot now. And uh, just just a fun little side note that I personally enjoy. Um, we've we elected more women than ever, made history and Republicans were completely left out of that because Republicans now have fewer women in Congress. Sorry, ladies, if you want to be part of the whole girl power thing, you might want to consider switching parties. Um, so, yeah, I think Pelosi, you know, she's been rounding up all of her allies. They've all been very clear in talking about the amazing things she's done. You had Cecile Richards, who is president of Planned Parenthood, talking about how great Pelosi has been for health care. You also had Move On talking about how progressive Pelosi is and how she uh, has really helped to promote and vote for and ensure and guarantee a progressive agenda. So I think it's it's. You know, this is something we go through every two years with Pelosi, right? There's always somebody. Yeah. It's usually Seth Moulton saying, oh, we should have somebody else. And then Pelosi's like, that's that's nice, dear. Yeah. Uh, she's not afraid. She's not intimidated. In fact, I think I think she had a great line, right, about exactly what she would welcome. Say to everybody, come on in. The water's warm. I love it. Come on in. I love it. Come on in, boys. Yeah. Yeah, bless your heart. Right, yeah. Bless your heart. Come you know, on. Take, she likes you to come say, with the king, you best not miss. <laughs> exactly. Or the queen, I should say, in this case. She She's using her grandmother voice. She's not a screamer. Yeah. She doesn't get upset. She doesn't get riled up. If you if you think you can do this job, come on in. Okay, boys. Come get a taste. <laughs> sure. And I don't want to change topic too much, but all of that's that we've been talking about Nancy Pelosi and whether or not she should be speaker and all of this stuff... I can't believe I can't believe, but I can't believe that we're not spending more time as a, as a, as a party talking about the Senate. 
and Chuck Schumer. You know, you want to talk about new leadership <laughs> and new blood and shaking things up and replacing the old guard with the new guard? Let's do it with Chuck Schumer. Yeah, absolutely. Because what has Chuck Schumer done for us as a party? I mean, he's he's um, managed to do absolutely nothing in the way of standing in the way right. of Trump and the Republican agenda. And, you know, it's a hard job for sure. They they have more than we do. They're in charge. It's really tough to to be able to do anything about it. But Chuck Schumer did not do his job. His job is to protect the, the Democratic numbers and try to expand them. And he didn't do that. And Nancy Pelosi, she did the hell out of her job. Yeah. So why people are picking on her and not Chuck Schumer, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's that misogyny thing. If, in Pelosi fact, mentioned. there is any misogyny involved in it, it's their problem, not mine. Yeah, that could explain. Uh, you know, just explain. maybe. Maybe. Um, so... Uh, there's something going on this weekend. Trump is going to be going out to California. Let's let's go back out to the, the West Coast, the best coast for a minute. He's heading out to California supposedly to show some sympathy for the victims of this massive fire that is happening where um, 59 people are dead. Um, hundreds of people apparently are missing. It's really bad. Um, it's really scary. It's not over yet. And he hasn't had a lot to say about the fire other than saying something about how uh, liberals are mishandling controlling forests in California, which is adorable because one of the parts of California where this fire is really out of control is not not a forest. Not a forest has, at all. has nothing to do with that whole forest thing. And, you know, he... he He's got a lot of Americans who are dying out there, and he's more obsessed with whining on Twitter about, you know, stupid Trump things. Right. Um, it's anybody's fault but my own. I just want to read yeah. because overnight they they uh, uh, changed the numbers a little bit. Uh, the number of people missing in the campfire, uh, because you've got the two different fires. You've got the right. campfire and then the, the Woolsey fire. Uh, the campfire has risen to 631 people missing. Missing. Uh, the death toll is now at 63. This is the uh, this largest, is most deadly fire that California uh, has seen. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major tragedy that is happening right now in California. And Trump has made it so clear how much he hates California because California hates him right back. And so he's going to fly out there. And, and we know that Trump is really not good in moments of crisis or tragedy. He's incredibly awkward um, because he's kind of a sociopath. He doesn't understand how to express sympathy. You mean he's going to go out there and throw paper towels oh, at the citizens God. of California? I mean, I, matches, gasoline, right, who yeah, knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, it's not like the people of California want to see his face. They don't like him. They don't like his party. His entire party just got fired uh, he's very hated in the state of California, and he's he's going to go out there and do God knows what, but probably blame stupid things like liberals for the fire. Um, people in his administration have been making up stupid excuses and reasons for the fire and who they can blame for the fire. I think uh, Ryan Zinke, Secretary of the Interior, has has tried to understand why California is having all these problems with fires, and he, he's so close. The so seasons have gotten longer. The temperatures are, are hotter. We're in the midst of a historic drought. What could be going on? I, there's just no explanation for it. It's a real head-scratcher, huh? Yeah, I mean, gosh. It, we we know it's not climate change because that's a hoax. Obviously. So it we can't be that. that. 
What could it be? Oh, it's just forest management in this place where there's not a forest. Not a forest. Just that's not a forest, dude. Look at the map. Uh, that's my favorite thing is when conservatives get just that close to figuring it out. Yeah. They're so close. It's just on the tip of his they, tongue. He, just, he wants to say it. <laughs> he wants to say it, but he can't bring himself to say it. Right, right. And, you know, like Trump has said, sure, maybe climate change is real, but it's going to change back. So it's all good. And all of those people in California um, who have have died have had to evacuate from their homes. You know, I, I have family right now who's had to evacuate from their homes. They don't know when they're going back or if they'll have homes to go back to. Um, whatever it is, don't worry. It's not climate change. It's not anything that the government could be doing other than the liberals in California doing something about forests. This is a, a very disturbing trend, uh, whether it's Puerto Rico uh, or California with the, the multiple tragedies that they've had out there since Donald Trump became president, whether it's fire or whatever, he just likes to sort of poke these people that have been hurt very badly. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's clearly not the president for all people. He knows that the citizens of Puerto Rico and the citizens of California are not completely and wholly, totally on board with his agenda. So the only thing he can do, instead of convincing them or... Uh, making the case or anything like that, he's just going to needle them. Right, exactly. Which is petty at best. <laughs> That's being generous That's to being him, ge- right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, California yeah. didn't vote for him, so he doesn't care about California. And if anything bad happens to them, well, they're probably asking for it in some way because Trump likes to blame the victim if the victim is not a Trump fan. Yeah, and that goes... Across all issues, right? Not just yeah. the state issue or anything. Like, it's, it's everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's something to look forward to this weekend. Sorry, California, in advance that you're going to have to deal with that one. Um, other things to be looking forward uh, today and in the coming days, right? There's this whole recount going on down in Florida. And no, we're not in um, a uh, time machine going back to the year 2000. Peter, what, what what's going on in Florida? Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> You and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I was working in talk radio when the original Florida recount happened. And it was, I mean, I, I have PTSD just seeing this happen all over again. Because Me it too. <laughs> completely dominated everything when it happened. Uh, and here we are again. The difference, of course, is the Republicans are just so naked with what they're trying to do right now. They're clearly trying to stifle the vote, not count all the votes, not count the military vote, by the way. Donald Trump right. sent that tweet out on Veterans Day of all days. Because <laughs> his timing is just impeccable. Just, just nailed it. Just yeah. nailed it. Uh, you know, w- they are counting overseas votes, and a lot of those votes come from soldiers who vote early and they, they send their ballot in. And he said, no, don't count those votes. Those are legitimate votes. These aren't yeah. votes that were found in a dumpster somewhere. They aren't votes that didn't get, you know, uh, they got mishandled on election day. These are votes that always get counted and should be counted. And the Republicans are nakedly trying to stop that recount. Yeah. And, you know, it's this scary playbook that we're seeing happen in uh, Florida, in Georgia. Uh, Mimi Walters herself in California. Too bad for her. Um, they're, where they're saying that... 
uh, if they think there's a chance they might lose, they would just like to stop counting the votes and declare themselves a winner right now. And Rick Scott is doing that. He's calling himself a senator-elect and saying, hey, I'm the senator now. No, dude. You're not. They you haven't the finished counting the votes. They need to count the votes before you get to be senator. That's how it works. So we we have some Florida recount trauma to relive. We can do it, <sighs> sister. We're going to get through it. God. We're going to get through it. It's it's tragic. Let's talk about something way more uplifting and uh, positive, like all the gra- open graft and corruption going on in the White House. You know, can we do that? Uh, yeah, I think we should talk about some corruption. It's Friday. Why not? Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning. Happy Friday. We made it. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray, the managing editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. I'm very happy to have our guest Adam Smith in with us today. Adam is the expert on all things corruption, so he probably has nothing to talk about (laughs) in the era of Trump. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get into um, what 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 Trump did and how he broke America in the last five minutes while we were at commercial, uh, have we missed anything on the Twitters? Oh, I'm glad you asked because here I am to uh, look at Twitter for you so that you don't have to look at it this morning. A uh, lot of comments on the race for speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we we both just said talking about she that. should be now. I will say there is. I, I think Nancy Pelosi should absolutely be the speaker of the house. There is one other person that I would be totally fine with being speaker of the house. And Matthew commented on this uh, on Twitter. Says Barbara Lee. <gasps> absolutely. I'm uh, totally on board. With, I would be totally yeah. on board with Barbara Lee as Speaker of the House, for big the record. Fan. For the record. So that's, basically that's... any woman from the Bay Area of California. Yeah, sure. That, yeah, exactly. That's the rule. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so, somebody else comment on that. Christina says everything I've seen against Nancy Pelosi does come with a suggestion of Barbara Lee as Speaker. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I still think Nancy Pelosi is probably the smartest choice. You know, Barbara Lee speaks for me. Right. Totally fine if Barbara Lee was uh, the yeah. Speaker. Uh, okay, so uh, I also mentioned Chuck Schumer's got to go. KG says, yes, Peter, we have to get rid of Chuck Schumer. Maybe even replace him with a woman. <laughs> Do we dare? Luna says, uh, Chuck Schumer is the Jeff Flake of the Democrats. Oh, oh, that's so mean. That's pretty mean. <laughs> I always thought Dick Durbin would be a good majority leader. Sure. Uh, and Romaine out in Chicago says, dude, yes, Schumer has got to go. All of his deals with, Romaine always calls Donald Trump, Fat Donnie Two Scoops. Uh, all these deals with Fat Donnie Two Scoops about that block of judges after they approved Boozy Brett, meaning Brett Kavanaugh, uh, not good. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Thank you, everybody, for, for tweeting at us and confirming everything that we already think. Appreciate yeah, yes, it. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so Democrats had this amazing night, and yeah. it's a night that continues to be amazing. We picked up another seat in California. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most important things, as Nancy Pelosi said back in 2006 when she first got the gavel, is what's the big difference between being in the minority or the, the majority is subpoena power. Yep. So um, with Democrats having subpoena power in, you know, just what, six or so weeks, what does that mean 
for us and America? Adam? It's, it's a great question. So I think there's sort of two uh, two like concurrent strategies Democrats need to take on um, when they get the gavel next year. One is sort of the investigations, looking at um, uh, the ways in which the president's using his office to personally profit. Uh, you know, for example, just this week, uh, Trump named as his ambassador to South Africa a member of Mar-a-Lago. And that is, she is the fourth member of Mar-a-Lago to be uh, uh, nominated for an ambassadorship. Like, those jobs are always patronage jobs. Like, that's just what sure. happens. Wait a but The fourth person that belongs to Mar-a-Lago? Yeah. That's amazing. And But it's like, they usually aren't you, they go to big donors, they go to friends, whatever, that happens. But they are usually aren't people that are like personally helping him personally profit off the presidency. Right. Like he he's actually getting rich off of this woman who is paying her Mar-a-Lago fees. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so that's like one example. So looking at uh, things like that, looking at um, uh, de- uh, the decisions that the administration is making about like foreign policy and whether the president has investments in those countries and whether it's being impacted by that. Looking at his tax returns to see uh, when the president is uh, being nice to Russia or being nice like what are his investments in those countries? Um, so I think that's one track. Mm-hmm. I think another equally important track is for Democrats to set up and say, uh, we are going to pass legislation to address not just Trump's corruption, but the general anger about our broken political system, you know, and how do we expand access to our democracy? How do, how do we do that? Really great question. So uh, first off, the um, the the new class of House Democrats is like made up of reformers. You know, if health care was the number one issue that these folks talked about, like money and politics was second or third. You know, when they talked about uh, Republicans wanting to repeal protections for pre-existing conditions, they said it was because their opponents took money from drug companies, from insurance companies. And so a lot of like... Um, a lot of these reform. There was a letter back in October saying about 107 House challenged that said money and politics reform, voting rights reform needs to be a top priority if Democrats take control. And so they got that. And um, you know you're going to have this new class. Over half of this new class rejected corporate PAC money. They don't take corporate PAC money. Um, and you're saying that's different from what Republicans do? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's actually this great great piece out in Sludge today that. That has, you know, something like of the 30 uh, Democrats who rejected corporate PAC money outraised the Republican opponents because they were able to show this contrast between themselves. They say, we can't take this corporate PAC money. We need your help. And small donors are like, yeah, we love this. We are going to help you uh, uh, compete. So uh, got a little sidetracked there. But the so H.R. 1 um, is, you know, the first bill House Democrats introduce is going to be this really big pro-democracy anti-corruption package that's going to have a couple of things in it. Um, It's going to be voting rights, uh, restoration of the Voting Rights Act to make sure when states like Georgia or Mississippi or uh, Florida try to, uh, you know, get rid of polling places or change the laws, that they have to get preclearance from the Department of Justice. Um, It's going to be automatic voter registration, which it just makes a lot of sense. Other states are already doing it. Uh, we've seen that it, it definitely increases the number of registered voters. It's something that needs to happen. Uh, there's going to be an ethics component 
the our federal ethics laws like our executive branch ethics laws mm -hmm. were not made for people like Trump and Wilbur Ross and Betsy DeVos they weren't made for billionaires <laughs> and so we need to make sure they are uh, we need to have uh, they more uh, um, uh, penalties if people break the laws and they need to apply to the president's office you know things like conflict of interest laws they they might apply to Kellyanne Conway they do not apply to the president and we need to um, make sure that happens so so you're saying that if Democrats uh, not if Democrats when Democrats yes. take over we're actually going to see them put forward um, legislation to do something about the rampant corruption yes that and and have Republicans done anything at all? Is it something that they have talked about in any way in the last two years? No, <laughs> no, it's 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 not. I mean, the the only they the only thing that actually passed addresses campaign finance in the past more than two years is last year Congress finally passed a bill to require Senate campaigns to file their fundraising reports electronically, which the House has been doing for over a decade. Um, so that was the only thing and it was like an amendment into a larger must-pass spending bill that had nothing to do with like Republicans other than being like worn down on it. Um, but yeah, so it has the voting rights, it had, the new bill would have the voting rights, it has the ethics, also have campaign finance stuff, which is really important. Sure. It will um, include a congressional small donor public finance system which so candidates who are able to like run on the strength of their small donors would be able to receive matching funds to really compete um, to really open up the process um, it would um, uh, prevent d smaller things like prevent lobbyists from bundling contributions um, and requiring more disclosure of dark money spenders so it's really this broad sort of omnibus pro-democracy anti-corruption package the Democrats have promised will be their first bill. Um, and I think it's really important because for so long, one of the issues around money in politics has been voters don't see a difference between Democrats and Republicans. They don't trust either of them. Right. They think everyone's corrupt. They don't trust either of them that they'll actually take on the issue. So um, once they do that and they say, no, we are taking this on, that will build trust with voters that they are in, working in their interest on everything else, like protecting people with pre-existing conditions, addressing jobs, our economy, um, the opioid crisis, all of that sort of stuff. And it'll help to build that trust, which is why I think it's so important for this to be the first bill. All of that sounds great. Yeah. So now I have to ask you this, this horrible question, which is, um, is this something that Republicans will support? Ready? I was ready for this question. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a very good question. I think um, there are a couple of provisions in there you could get some House Republicans to to get behind. I think there's some of this, some of the more conservative Tea Party type Republicans. Uh, there is some overlap between people who think this. I mean, they're going to think that Democrats take too much corporate PAC money and that we need to address it. So I think you could get a couple of votes. Uh, I think the issue is obviously going to be in the Senate. Right. Um, Mitch McConnell is like has called. Is sort of this the Darth Vader of campaign finance. I think he's either called himself that or someone else has called him that. Um, but and so, but that's like going to be the true with any issue. This Congress is Democrats are going to pass stuff, or Senate Republicans are going to say we don't want to do it. But I think on this in particular sets up a real contrast. They can say, listen, we tried to reform the broken system, Republicans wouldn't let us, and it helps to set up this contrast heading into 2020 um, for the presidential race, for a Senate majority, for House majority again is we are trying to do something Republicans keep blocking us and right. if you want to actually pass real reforms to strengthen our democracy reduce the power of big money raise your voice you need to vote for Democrats and I think that's going to be a powerful message for them
And do you think that um, this is what we're going to see happen over the next two years or, God forbid, more, where Democrats are going to have awesome ideas, vote for those awesome ideas, maybe even get a few Republicans to say, yeah, OK, I'll go along. And then Mitch McConnell and his friends in the Senate are just going to kill it dead. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, the one thing about Mitch McConnell, he also is the only thing he's concerned about is power. So like that, that's his overarching political um, uh, like. That's what he does. Right. He says, if, th- if this helps me get power. So if there are issues where there are smaller policies um, that will help him or help his caucus, I think he'd vote for it. But I think it is going to be tricky. The one thing is there's like I'm so excited about this new class of candidates is because they're just going to keep fighting. Right there. They, I, I, they make me think of sort of the Watergate babies, which was after in 1974 when this whole new crop of reformers was elected post Watergate and they, you know, passed the uh, Federal Election Campaign Act. They passed the presidential public financing system. They did all these other environmental safeguards, all this sort of stuff, because they were this new class that came up, came in to clean up Washington. And I sort of am really excited about this new class of people who look like the rest of America, who have not taken corporate PAC money. They won't be bullied and they're ready to, like, really fight. And I'm really excited about that. Um, so am I. And yeah. I and I look forward to actually seeing good things come out of uh, the House of Representatives, because for the last two years, we've just seen horrible bill after horrible yeah. bill. And yeah. it'll be nice to see good stuff. So so I have a question about um, about the investigations. Sure. What do you think is the most important investigation? And, and I, I realize I am asking a question about um, investigating a president who on any given day has committed an impeachable offense, probably before most yeah. of America is even yeah. awake. But if there was like the most important investigation that Democrats could really get very serious about and like have Benghazi level hearings and spend Benghazi level money to really find out what the hell is going on? Yeah. What's th- what investigation would that be? <sighs> That's a good question. I will first say I do think like they should I into spending the, all the money that they need to do on it. But I do think they need to make sure that it's like more deliberate and less of a sideshow than what Republicans did with Benghazi. Sure. Like I do think uh, that there's a real chance that if they try to do that sort of stuff that the Republicans did without any evidence, without any, just making it all this drama and not about real things that are happening, it'll be a problem. So I think they need to make sure they're sort of like a wet blanket, but I think they need to make it's deliberate. They have the evidence. They do, they follow the rules exactly how they need to go. They, um, and I think that's really important to make sure these are really like straightforward, deliberate, uh, thoughtful investigation. So I think mm-hmm. that's one. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's probably uh, tr- probably looking at his tax returns. Um, I think for a lot of reasons. One, it's um, what is he not telling the American people the truth about, right? Is he has said, oh, I don't have... Um, I don't have any ties to Russia. I don't have any ties here. Does he really? Right. And exposing that if he does. Um, I also think um, it'd be hilarious if we see he's like, you know, worth like half of what he says he is, uh, which, which he probably, probably is. is. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really important. Um, I think looking at the cabinet stuff is really looking at the cabinet stuff is really important. There's been a lot of investigations of the cabinet and just the the level of corporate capture of the administration um, is like just 
unseen levels of corporate capture and looking at the role that the oil companies played in getting Ryan Zinke to open up our national parks to drilling, right? right? Or um, uh, the role that the chemical companies are playing in the EPA, like not... Uh, banning certain chemicals that like cause kids to have like uh, brain damage, right? right? Like these are all things that are happening, and what role are corporations playing in it? I think is like let's go after Trump, um, but let's also like see like just that sort of that corruption that is hard to find unless you have sort of access to these documents. Right. So so that raises I think a really interesting point, which is that Trump is not the one corrupt member of his administration, right? Yeah. Like he has surrounded himself with really corrupt people. So like who are some other people in his cabinet or top yeah. advisors who you yeah. think Democrats should be taking a look at besides Trump? Yeah, so I, I think Ryan Zinke, absolutely, if he makes it that far, if he makes it to the next Congress. Like he has all uh, these why, why wouldn't he? He has all these investigations in. He's clearly already like trying to get a way out. So you could see him getting his Fox News gig and just bouncing. Okay. So people like him, um I know that uh Scott Pruitt is gone from the EPA, but there are a bunch of stuff there. And then the, his replacement is a coal lobbyist who doesn't believe in climate change, right? Right. Um but he's just better at government because uh, he was a lobbyist. So he sort of knows how government government works better so he's probably it's probably he's better at not getting caught right he didn't um, put in like a forty thousand dollar secret yeah, phone booth yeah and- i also think there's some interesting stuff around betsy devos and with for-profit colleges and how she's sort of doing their bidding um looking at wilbur ross and there's already i mean there's already like the lawsuit around the census but like the role that they the DOJ and the White House played in adding citizenship question to the census which is really about uh, undercounting uh, minority voters um, so uh, what else gosh there's trying going through my head all the other cabinet members um, uh, other advisors I mean do you think that Here's a question. So, you know, Trump has put family members in the administration, you know, like like his daughter, Ivanka, who has no experience doing anything other than putting her name on, you know, handbags made by children in China. Yeah. Um, Is that somebody who should be investigated? Do Democrats have like an optics issue if they're going after his family, even though she's getting you know paid to have a job? I think Ivanka's probably fine. I I mean, she's not really doing a whole lot. I mean, I think Jared's Jared might have more issues. There have been stories about his family using his name when they're doing like foreign pitches to help uh, keep their like apart their like office buildings in New York afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there might be some stuff with Jared and his family. I think Ivanka. I mean, she sort of just goes out to say, "Look at all these nice things we're doing," and ignore all the bad things we're doing. That's right. sort of her role. Um, several of the 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 people in the White House have already like faced Hatch Act violations, so they've already had to deal with that. The hat um, now the Hatch Act. Uh, that is when um, they advocate for candidates and they're not allowed to do that. Is that right? Yeah, it's using uh, government time for political purposes. And they are, the president's not um, uh, subject to that, mm-hmm. so he can do it. You know, but the but like um, Kellyanne Conway's face, you know, the very like when she the, sort of like the first day she was in the White House, she said, go buy Ivanka's purses, right. which is like, you know, so there's been a couple things like that. Sarah Huckabee Sanders actually at that rally in Montana like two weeks ago probably was a violation of the Hatch Act. Right. Um, the problem, of course, which gets to strengthening ethics laws is that the president decides what the punishment is. And so <laughs> nobody's faced any punishment. They just said you violated this, right. but they haven't. Nothing's happened. Sure. 
And I mean, our violation of the Hatch Act in, in the scheme of the corruption of this administration, is that something that we should even think about? Is that something for Democrats to spend time on? I mean, it's Does abu- it matter? It's abusive taxpayer dollars for political purposes. Um, but again, there are a lot of larger issues here. Corporate mm-hmm. capture, the president using his office for uh, personal gain. Uh, I think that um, it just... Being able to take a look, a thorough look at the overall cloud of corruption over the administration, I think, is really important. I mean, the leadership comes from the top, right? Right. The, the president sets the agenda and everyone under him says, all right, we have to give corporations and donors what they want. We can just the ethics rules are guidelines that we don't really have to follow. And so being able to sort of expose that rampant corruption in a way, like in an official way, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Republicans have done nothing. So all... People are seeing a lot of like media reports and all that sort of stuff, which is really important. It's good to see that. But having like official avenues saying, look at this thing that happened, I think is going to be really important for educating Americans about just how corrupt the administration is. Okay, so what are some of the top committees that we should be watching that, you know, if we find out that Donald we get Donald Trump's tax returns and we find out that the guy is broke and he's he's never seen a billion dollars in his life. And also he owes a ton of money to Russia. Who's going to find that? So that's uh, taxes will be House Ways and Means Committee. Um, I don't remember who the chair is going to be for that. Um, House Oversight is going to be the other committee. That is was famously Trey Gowdy and sure. Daryl Issa's committee, um, which but Elijah Cummings Both will... of them are going to be gone come yes. January. Yes, Woo-hoo! And um, that'll be... Um, Elijah Cummings will be the chair of that, and he's a real fighter, and I think... Um, so those are the two committees. But, I, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what Energy and Commerce does, right? Um, or Natural Resources or Financial Services. All of these committees can do their own sort of oversight that can bring people to testify it'll be interesting to have like if you can get these cabinet members testifying when democrats have control it'll be interesting to see what happens so so basically there's a lot of work for democrats to do when they come yeah. in lots of uh, committees and and yeah. leaders and a lot of stuff to look at so i think you know there there are some stories of corruption that you know most people have heard of is there a story out there of corruption that you think should get more attention that hasn't <sighs> I do think the sort of um, emoluments, the part of this, you know, with emolument, the emoluments is like the framers. The Constitution has this foreign bribery clause that says the president cannot take gifts from foreign governments. Like they said, uh, we just dealt with this and uh, we can't let this happen again. And there's been there's been a lot of press stories about it, but and there's a, lo- a couple of lawsuits, but Congress has never taken a look at it. So have if doing uh, an emoluments hearing with bringing in experts, being able to like ask people like, hey, the um, Saudi government or it wasn't Saudi government. A lot of governments have had like events at Trump's D.C. hotel and like right. looking at whether that influenced administration. Um, but I, I know I'm going to like I also think it's just really important for them to actually pass something like pass a pro-democracy positive bill. So I think, like I said at the beginning, the investigations are really important. Mm-hmm. But I also think we have to give we have to give voters something to look forward to. They, I mean, one of the reasons that Democrats the were so successful this year is because they were able to offer like a positive agenda for what our country can be. And that's why I think it's so important. Democrats, voters believe that 
people, neither party is willing to do anything because they just attack each other. Right. But they need to say, yes, we're going to investigate this corruption, but we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again by passing these laws, by giving people the right to vote, by addressing ethics issues, by reducing the power of big money. And I think that's like so important and maybe even more important than what happens with the investigations. I know that's a bold statement. <laughs> well, it's a time to be bold, right? Yeah, exactly right. So, okay, so they they investigate all this corruption. They find out, oh, yeah, totally corrupt, right? Yeah. And is there anything that we can do about it with uh, Democrats controlling the House, Republicans controlling the Senate, Donald Trump in the White House? Um, wh- what do we do? It's. I mean, I think it's what people have been doing for the past two years. I think it's uh, making sure you're in the streets when you need to be in the streets, right? Like when it was when um, Jeff Sessions was fired last week. When was it last week? How? It's like I don't know. Two weeks ago. <laughs> when I was mean, it? Well, he was fired last week. Five it, years it's ago. It's been the longest hundred years, right? Yeah, this since week Trump has been yeah, the longest year. Um, you know, and everyone around the country like rallied in the streets about that and said we need to protect the rule of law. I think that sort of stuff's really important. I think a lot of Senate Republicans are going to just ignore all of that, but I think it's really important for it to be out there and for people to see that they have that they have a lot of other people that agree with them. And so I think making sure you're still rallying, you're still in the streets when you need to be is really important. I think that, um, again, I know this is really cliche, but calling your members, like when um, all these like bad things happen, making sure Senate Republicans or even your House Republicans know that you are watching and you want a government that is like not completely corrupt. Okay, so things could get better. We have a lot of work to do, and we need to send more Democrats there so they can actually get this stuff passed, get it into law, and get rid of Trump and all of the bad guys. Adam, thank you so much for joining us and teaching us about corruption. Please come back and teach us some more, because I know there's more corruption ahead. Thanks. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I am the managing editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at ShareBlue.com. That is where we report on political news from an unapologetically progressive point of view and make sure we're holding Trump and Republicans accountable. Uh, We have a lot to talk about today, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Lots to talk about. Okay. So uh, yesterday the FDA rolled out a couple of new regulations on e-cigarettes and vaping. Now, I I didn't realize this. 
E-cigarette use among high school students is up 80%. 80! Come on, kids! Percent. Now look, I understand that vaping is, in theory, more healthy than actually smoking cigarettes. And okay. But they say it's... This is what really blew my mind. 80% among high schoolers. It's up 50% among middle schoolers. <gasps> Do not vape if you are in middle school, kids. Come on. Go play with your Barbie dolls. What are you doing? Anything (laughs) other than vaping for crying out loud. It's up 50% since last year. So yesterday, the FDA proposed some new measures that will stop uh, the uh, advertising and the pushing of uh, nicotine products, specifically the flavored nicotine products, because I'm not a vapor. But my understanding is you can get these e-liquids, they call them, and they're flavored with, like, you know, pina colada or strawberry or bubble gum or all these things. Which which, sounds terrible. I mean, (laughs) awful. I mean, it's like smoking is bad. Obviously, right. right? But like, but so are pina coladas. So are pina coladas, <laughs> and so is strawberry flavored and scented liquid. Anyway, uh, the <laughs> FDA commissioner is a man by the name of Stott, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He said that the data, quote, shocked my conscience when he saw how many kids were vaping, and so they're now going to try and actually do something about it. So what they're trying to do, this could ultimately prompt their removal from shelves and websites because the problem is. You know, like cigarettes, you, in theory, have to go and show an ID that you're 18 and you get your cigarettes. But a lot of these vape things, you can just walk in and buy them. There's nothing that they don't really ask for an ID. They're on the shelves. And especially, you know, you could just go online and buy the stuff and nobody cares. So they're trying to shut that down. They do say, however, that in a very meta issue, you can get tobacco-flavored e-liquid. That's not going to be touched. <laughs> so if you still want to vape, do it that the old-fashioned way with cool, that tasty smoke flavor, clean taste of tobacco. You can do that. Oh, you just man. can't get the fruity kinds. They also say mint and menthol will not be touched either. By the way, I've got some very sad news. Oh no! Some very very sad news. You should feel very very bad about this. Uh-oh. The NRA is having a really hard time. <gasps> Oh, yeah. that is sad. Yeah, isn't that sad? Tell, isn't that tell me how bad it is for them. Uh, how bad is it? Well, I'll tell you. The National Rifle Association is getting rid of one of their services for employees at their headquarters, which is right right out the way in Fairfax, Virginia. They are getting rid of free bottles of water and free <laughs> coffee. They supplied the building, which is a big building, by the way. I mean, it's a large organization. And they supplied the building with free coffee and free bottles of water. And they said that because of... Some of the hits that they've taken with their, you know, financing. They're not getting as many people contributing, not as many members as they used to have. Their finances and their political activities have finally caught up with them. They can't give them free coffee and water. That's tragic. You know what? I, I've, I've got just one, th- one thing to say to that. I'm sending my thoughts and prayers. Your thoughts and prayers! <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Yes, absolutely. Just to give you an idea of how bad it is, membership revenue declined by $35 million last year. $35 million. Is that a lot? That's a lot. That's a whole, whole lot. So much, in fact, that you can't even get a cup of coffee anymore.
Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Good morning. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the managing editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. It's Friday, which means we have all survived together another week in this The Trump Era. Um, there, there's a, there's a decision that might be coming out today. It's it's been kicked down the down the road uh, for the for a couple days this week. So who knows what's going to happen today? But there's a lawsuit against the White House that CNN brought um, because the White House banned CNN reporter Jim Acosta from being able to set foot on White House grounds and ask questions and report on all of the many ways that Donald Trump and his administration are terrible. And the White House excuse for banning Jim Acosta has changed quite a bit. They keep changing their story. Which right? is amazing, right? Like we you we remember when this happened a little over a week ago when they had this uh press conference. And uh, they put out a tape of when Donald Trump tried to shut Jim Acosta down. Right. And they had an intern go over and she grabbed the microphone from his hand and tried to take it. And he held on to it. And in the process, his hand came down and made contact with her. Right. He didn't strike her. He didn't hit her. It was a very light contact. But what the White House did was they put out a doctored video. And there should be no debate about this whatsoever. Right. They got it from some schlub at InfoWars. InfoWars. (laughs) InfoWars is where they got it. Talk about fake news. This is not a debate. Right. It was doctored video. Yeah. Okay. And it, they sped it up to make it look like his hand came down much harder right. like on this her arm. Aggressive yeah, karate like very, chop yeah, on it, her arm. Right. Right. It, like, it made it look like he tried just tried to <laughs> chop her arm off with his hand. Uh, but everybody saw through it and said yeah. what it was. It was BS. We, we all did the the Zapruder film treatment of this, right? <laughs> like I did it, you did it, we all did it, right? Back and to the left. Yeah. We we all Back watched the like the twelve seconds of this interaction over and over and over again and looked at the freeze frame and you're like, No, I do not see the part where he pinned her down, punched her in the face repeatedly and screamed, you know. Right. Anything. Didn't happen. Um didn't happen. So 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 Sarah Huckabee Sanders puts out this doctored InfoWars video and says, you know, because this administration is so well known for its um, uh, opposition to assaulting women. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. And we cannot possibly tolerate a reporter putting his hands on a woman like this, uh, you know, if he had grabbed her in some inappropriate place, he would get a job in the administration. We've but- all heard the tape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the White House says because he did this to the intern, he's not allowed to come here anymore. And the CNN does what it should do, which is say, oh, yeah, we'll see you in court. And then the White House puts out, you know, its various filings and saying, well, now we have this whole other reason for not letting him because he was disrespectful to his fellow reporters. And they've completely removed the the female intern from it. So an interesting thing has happened this week where basically every media outlet in America is siding with CNN because, you know, whether they like CNN or not, Jim Acosta or not, that doesn't matter, right? This is a First Amendment issue. Does the press have the right to ask questions of this administration? And they have support from, you know, all all of the typical outlets you'd expect and even from some that you wouldn't, including Fox News. Fox News not known for really caring about the First Amendment a whole lot. Even Fox News is siding with CNN. But there's this, this story where the White House does have support 
um, from one outlet, uh, cable news network OANN, that stands for One American News Network. It's a right-wing cable channel, and it announced that it will be filing a brief to support the Trump administration in the lawsuit because, um, oh, here's, here's the quote. Acosta's actions are stopping our people from getting their questions answered so that we can give our audience the real news direct from our president. I, I have to say, uh, I have to ask you, have you ever watched any of One American News Network? Um, you know, I, I might have seen a clip here or there. I got to be honest, all of that wackadoodle right wing media kind of starts to blend into yes. one thing for me. Very but... fair. Well, I actually uh, it's it's not a secret that my parents are very conservative and I went to go visit them over the summer and I got to watch some of the One American News Lucky Network. Because you. They watch the One American News Network. And I have to tell you. Uh, it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a disaster. And and I have a weird thing for bad media. Like, I love bad stuff, right? Sure. Like, I could sit right. and watch it all day. I don't mind. Uh, but this was beyond bad. It was just so bad. And it's, you know, uh, the bootlicking from conservative media is, is grotesque enough already. Sure. But like you mentioned, Fox News saw how silly this issue was with Acosta. They understand. They, I mean... They, they want the access and need the access to the White House that any other journalistic right. operation should want. Uh, but what American News Network just doesn't care. Yeah, and so it doesn't here, matter. Here's, here's what I love. Um, I, so I guess there, there might be this little food fight now because One American News Network is saying that they can't believe that Fox is on the other side. And, you know, it's like... Uh, two wingnut uh, cable networks go in and none come out, hopefully, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, they make Fox look moderate. So Here we are, <laughs> Kylie, siding with Fox News this morning. You bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, so, uh, you know, one of our favorite things that we do at Share Blue is even Fox News. You know, every now and then there'll be somebody on Fox News is like, hey, we love to kiss Trump's butt as much as possible, but we, we got to say he's wrong on this thing. And then we'll all be like, oh, my God, even Fox News knows this is bad. So even Fox News knows that this is a this is an idiotic decision by the White House to say that Jim Acosta should not be allowed to ask questions of Trump because Trump doesn't like being asked questions by anybody who isn't, well, basically Fox News. You know, Fox is, I mean, I, I believe that Fox gen- genuinely uh, believes in, in freedom of the press. Truly. Okay. Truly. Sure. But, but then, I can't wait to see where this is going. But but that that takes a lot of different forms and shapes for a lot of other people, right? Like they know that they have sort of a stranglehold on the White House and the communications team there, right? Like right. they know that the White House will come to them no matter what. So it really, right. honestly, kind of doesn't matter for them. Right. But there is a, an appearance of keeping up with that journalistic freedom, right? That they that that like any good journalist should care about, and right. they have John uh, Roberts at the White House, who will occasionally ask a good question, a good tough sure. question. Every of now and then, his every now clock is broken, but right. Every, exactly, exactly. So like, there's there are some flashes of. God, I hate to say there are some flashes of independence with Fox News because it's not totally true, but it happens once in a while, right? right? But One American News Network is pure propaganda. <laughs> 
purely <laughs> propaganda and nothing else. Yeah. So so naturally, they think that the White House should be allowed to ban actual reporters from asking questions so that these these nut jobs at places like One American News Network can get to ask questions instead. So the judge uh, on this case, we, we've all been waiting to see what the judge will do. And the judge has said every day for the last few days, you know what? I need to sleep on this again. I got to think about this a little bit more. So we'll Which see I don't if that take happens as a good today. Sign. I don't take that as a good sign. Yeah, you know, here's Is that the thing. wrong of me? I, I, I don't think it's wrong. You know, CNN, um, on the one hand, you've got the First Amendment. And on the other hand, there are some practical matters that the White House has pointed out and not been completely wrong about, like saying, look, CNN has like 50 other reporters who have access to the White House. Does it have to be Jim Acosta? You know, we're still going to get our news and get our questions asked, if not answered, even if Jim Acosta isn't there. But, you know, it's a slippery slope when you're the White House is deciding um, whether it is fair and right to ask questions of the president of the United States uh, and that he's going to ban reporters for asking questions he doesn't like. Because right now in the Trump era, reporters should be asking questions that he doesn't like. And if they're only going to take questions from his friends who are going to say, you know, Mr. President, serious question, are you awesome or super awesome? <laughs> Which is the kind of question he usually gets at Fox, yes. right? Yes. Um, it'll be like, excellent question. Thank you for that hard-hitting question. I'm super awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, on that issue, though, of, you know, yes, yeah, CNN does have other reporters, and that's true. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's an understatement to say that is a slippery slope. Of deciding this person can ask me a question and this right. person cannot. Right. Right. But, yeah. It, you know, I, I struggle with this, uh, not personally, but with other people I know about the whole media thing, because I don't think that the media has done a great job of covering Donald Trump. I agree. I mean, the latest case in point, I think, was is the caravan, right? The, oh, the, this whole caravan talk, which we're going to talk more about Matt, with Matt Gertz from Media Matters when he comes in. Um, the media just carried that as if it was fact and true. And right. we spent, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to a very, very, very important election talking about this caravan. And you look at an election that was as close as the one that was in Texas, which I would say where the caravan news probably hit the hardest. Yeah. Caravan news and air quotes, by the way, right. for those of, of course. you aren't watching yeah. on TV. News. Uh, it, it probably hit the hardest. That might have very well been the difference in uh, another Democratic Senate seat in, in Texas. So I don't think the media has learned much since 2016 and the presidential election and how they handled that. Right, absolutely. Um, and that, so you kind of wonder, like, okay, what is the point of the White House press corps at right, this point? Kind of. Because, you know, this, this White House has um, really doesn't like talking to reporters who aren't from Fox News or or even, you know, further to the right outlets. And they don't like answering questions. And um, they they oftentimes don't even bother to have White House press briefings. Like they just say, yeah, we're just we're just not going to answer questions today. Um, And even when they do have these White House press briefings, you just kind of have to wonder what the point is, because you'll have some horrible thing that Trump has done in the last five minutes or five days or or whatever. And reporters will just, you know, not ask real questions. And 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 if Sarah Huckabee Sanders does the thing she likes to do, where she says, you know, screw you, that's a terrible question. Shame on you and your family and your grandchildren. The next reporter won't say, actually, 
I would like an answer to that question. And it would be great if you saw the kind of solidarity among reporters on a daily basis that you're seeing right now with CNN, where all of these outlets are like, we stand with CNN. Well, why don't you stand with each other every single day? And, you know, if you go in there and you have a really important question to ask of the White House and the White House won't answer, don't ask other questions. Don't don't be their propaganda um, outlets. Keep asking that question until we actually get an answer. I would love to see that happen. So. Let me ask you a question. Uh, That's a terrible question, Peter. Shame on you. (laughs) You're hired. (laughs) Uh, So let me ask you this question. Because uh, I saw a bunch of people saying, like, oh, this should be a moment where the White House press corps bands together and says, we're not going to go to any more press briefings or press conferences or anything. We're not going to give them the attention that they want, which is not going to happen. Uh, But would that do any good, even if it did happen? (sighs) Uh, you know, that's actually a good question. And, oh, I only ask you know, good questions. <laughs> of, of course. You'll <laughs> never work in the White that's House. Right. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to say because I think we have all struggled with um, what the hell to do with ourselves in the Trump era. We know that they are shameless about lying. So you can ask a question and they can either not answer, shame you or just give an answer that's completely untrue. And reporters haven't really figured out a way around it. And so uh, I I don't know that anybody really has the answer of how to deal with it. I do know that the way to not deal with it is to simply repeat the, um, the lies that come from the White House or to only focus on stories that the White House wants to have covered in the way that the White House does and the caravan caravan crisis is a perfectly good point where Trump invented by watching Fox News this imaginary crisis of, you know, women and children fleeing um, their homes that are, you know, war torn countries um, to try to uh, get asylum in a country that supposedly welcomes everybody. That, that's what we say about ourselves. And Trump's like, oh, my God, they're coming to get you. They're going to kill you in your bed. And, you know, the entire media, New York Times on down is like, look at these pictures of these scary women and children coming to get you and kill you in your bed. Then the election is over and it's like caravan. What caravan? The caravan. Yeah. Huh? Do what now? My, my favorite visual from this week was uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the department of, uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security, for now. Uh, for now, <laughs> as of as of this moment, uh, she is still on the job. Uh, and Secretary of Defense James Mattis went down to the border where these five thousand <laughs> troops were deployed to the border, which is a, using the military for a political stunt, and that's all it is. Right. And the caravan, fifteen hundred miles away. Right. You you can't actually see them from there. Right. And like it like. Where they are planning to cross the border is not anywhere close to where they currently are. Right. It's like, it is like an episode of Veep. Yeah, exactly. Only it's it's not funny. No. It's sad and tragic and disgusting and horrible. And we we know that it, it was all a stunt because I think it came out maybe yesterday that the Pentagon is saying, oh, yeah, this this whole stupid mission, you know, operation shiny object look over here is um, going to wrap up December 15th and all the troops are going home. Well, so the caravan is still hundreds of miles away. Aren't they still coming right for us? But but no, there's no danger anymore. So all of the troops are going to go home. So the the need to send them to the border in the first place to do really important things like putting up wire and picking up horse manure, 
This is actually a thing I read this week, picking up horse manure. America's finest. To, to keep us safe. Um, yeah, it turns out we're, we're, we're safe. We're all good. They're not needed. They're going to be stuck there through Thanksgiving, which is super awesome that Mr. You know, President Loves the Troops has taken them from their families to go sit at the border and pick up horse poo um, and miss Thanksgiving with their families. But there's no threat. So everybody's going to go home and they have no intention of extending the deadline or, you know, ramping up this operation because the whole entire thing was a sham to begin with. Uh, when you say President Loves the troops. Do you mean the guy that would not go out in the rain to remember the troops from <laughs> World War One, or do you mean the president who uh, did not go to Arlington Cemetery uh, on Veterans Day, uh, or do you mean the president who says he likes people who weren't captured, uh, or right? Yeah, is that yeah. president loves the troops? That, that guy. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the guy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one. Thought. That's what I thought. Okay. He loves the troops yeah. when they make a great backdrop for him at a rally. Uh, he loves the troops when he's like screaming incoherently about the flag, which is not the same thing as the troops. But when it comes to actually honoring the troops, respecting the troops, even bothering to meet them and look them in the eye, like forget it. He's got some really important Fox TV to watch and live tweets. So, yeah, um, it's it's great that those troops are going to get to go home soon it's really too bad that he sent them to the border in the first place. And the amazing thing is it didn't help him because the whole thing was a stunt, right, to try to win the election. And we all know how that turned out. I, I want to play a clip. I didn't get a chance to play this for you uh, earlier today, but this was from yesterday. Donald Trump was speaking and he talks about all the military spending uh, that 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 his administration has approved and they're going through. Right. And remember, it was a couple of months ago that he talked about these F-35 jets and he said they're invisible. Right. <laughs> Nobody can see them. They're invisible. And he still believes it, by the way. He's watching way too many cartoons. Way too many cartoons. <laughs> He's watched way too many Wonder Woman episodes. Because here he talked about them again yesterday. A new force, a great force. We have the finest equipment, the finest planes, the finest missiles and rockets, ships. Some are being built. Just gave out a tremendous order for brand new F-35s, fighter jets. They're stealth. You can't see them. Other than that, they're easy to beat. <laughs> I said I said to one of the pilots, I said, how good are these? They said, well, sir, the problem is you can't see them when you fight them. I said, that sounds like it's a big advantage. He said, it's an awfully big advantage. He doesn't think I, that they can see these fighter jets. <laughs> He's which like, are very no object permanence spot. for this guy. No, not at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. They're invisible. You can't see them. They're ghosts. They're ghost planes. You know, we we talk a lot about Donald Trump and all of the things that are wrong with him and all of the terrible things he's done. And how much time you got? I, I know. I mean, we we need a, a thirty hour show, right? But then you listen to something like that, and you just think, God, the guy is just such an idiot. Yeah. I mean, you you know, we had Adam Smith in here talking uh, in the last hour about corruption and and how. Democrats taking over the House means that we might actually get some investigations and accountability on corruption. And that's important. Um, and then there's the part where he's just real dumb. Yeah. He's just he's just a stupid guy. OK, I, I, I get grief for this all the time because I make fun of him because he cannot spell. And I think that's a very low bar to get over. People to go like, oh, you mocking him because he doesn't know how to spell. That's the reason he became president. You're like, like endlessly sneering at people. Right. Like that. And, and sure, I, I, I'm not mocking him because he, you know, 
didn't get a good education or anything like that. Like he had everything at his disposal to get a very good education. And also, I just think to be the leader of a country, the United States of America, you spell. Sure. And, you know, here's the thing, routine, right? Like, routine misspellings in your Twitter feed, I think, should be disqualified. We, we all have typos in our tweets sometimes. Sure. But only one of us is president of the United States. Right. I've made typos. You've made typos. Sure. You know it's what? happened. We're never going to be president. Right. Like, North Korea is not reading my Twitter feed, I don't think. And, like, making decisions about whether or not to try to, you know, send missiles to Hawaii right. based upon my furious, incoherent tweets. We, you know, and you know what? We've had typos. We didn't misspell the word council four times <laughs> in two Which, years. You know, the thing that kills me is that he has tweeted so angrily about special counsel Robert Mueller uh, so many times and misspelled it so many times that I think he has trained his yes, phone yes, yes, to yes. misspell the word now. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. That's just that's just stupid. Yeah. I mean, corrupt, yes. Mean, yes. Racist, yes. A guy who bragged about sexually assaulting women, he's that too. But he's also just real dumb. Just real dumb. He's real dumb. Yeah. I, I, like, look, I, like I said, it's a very low bar to get over. Yeah. So speaking of, of dumb and, and low bar and making fun of people for being ridiculous, can we switch gears a little bit and make fun of his wife for a minute? Okay. Oh, I would love nothing more. Okay. So some, Melania Trump has this whole campaign, right? Be best. Uh, sp- speaking of being bad at the English language, and and her Although whole she might be better than her husband. Uh, well, that definitely. Uh, again, low bar. And her whole thing is like she she's she's going to um, teach America to not be jerks on the internet because we're all getting punked and living in an onion article apparently. And so yeah, rightfully so. People make fun of her about that because it's like, lady. Are you kidding us? Come on. You sleep next to... Well, actually, I think she doesn't, right? They have separate rooms because they don't like each other. But she she's married to a guy who's the biggest bully on the internet we've ever seen. That's not what she's talking about. She's you know, She wants the, the kids these days to be best. And so people make fun of her about it, but she has a really pithy response to that. It is not news or surprising to me that critics and the media have chosen to ridicule me for speaking out on this issue, and that's okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for permission, Melania. That's okay. Uh, you know, and and look, being first lady is a tough job, right? Because sure. you're supposed to do this unpaid work of representing the country and, you know, being the woman behind the man and you have to be beautiful and keep a, a gorgeous house and be articulate and pick an issue to care about, but you can't care about it too much. And you're going to have the other side attack you if you're Michelle Obama and you want kids to like, you know, get off their fat butts and eat some vegetables like it's socialism, something like that. But, you know, Melania telling us how we can all be best and not be mean on the Internet it's it's just a little insulting. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in recent years, we've seen first ladies take on a, a more serious role with more serious issues, right? Uh, Hillary Clinton famously, infamously tried to do the health care stuff. Michelle sure. Obama with the uh, getting kids to, you know, not eat junk food all the time uh, at, at school. Uh, but before that, it was all pretty much very... Nancy Reagan saying, hey, kids. Don't smoke pot. Right. Now we have John Boehner saying, hey, kids, smoke, smoke pot. Smoke pot. Right. Like, how'd that work out? <laughs> Not well. 
So, like, you know, the first ladies have a more visible role uh, that, that they can play with these things. But, like, this is, at best, it's just laughable. Yeah. I mean, what are we talking about? Yeah. I mean, when when she says, you know, don't be a jerk on the Internet, what does that mean? Does that mean don't make up nasty little nicknames for people you don't like? Like, say, Crooked Hillary or Lion Ted or... What 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 does he call Chuck Schumer? Crying Chuck, something crying stupid. Crying Chuck, yeah, crying Chuck. I mean, Donald Trump has used his Twitter feed. This is just off the top of my head, and I know that there are going to be a, a dozens and dozens and dozens of more examples. But like, he said Ted Cruz's wife was ugly on Twitter. <laughs> he he basically he said my wife is hotter than your wife. He called Omarosa a dog. Yeah. On Twitter, he's gone after multiple people and given them, you know. Not so clever nicknames, right? That he just repeatedly bullies people. Yeah. So, like, what are we talking about? Yeah, I well, feel like this is we're we're taking crazy pills. Yeah, and that is why you know Melania, we'd be happy to leave you alone and not make fun of you if you didn't ask for it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray, Managing Editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. I am extremely excited to welcome our next guest. Matt Gertz is a senior fellow at Media Matters, and he's also not the horrible right-wing congressman (laughs) from Florida, even though I know he unfortunately gets confused with him all the time. Matt, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you here. So so here's a thing that Matt does in case you don't know, which is incredible. Matt figures out what the hell Donald Trump is talking about during executive time on Twitter. So I have to ask you, um, ha- has Donald Trump woken up and taken a Twitter yet today? He has not yet. Uh, and um, it's actually, he, he didn't yesterday either. The day before, he was very into it. Uh, it you know, it's normally happening three to five times a week. Uh, and when it happens, you can tell because he just starts tweeting about five or six different random topics. Um, and, you you know, what happens then is I see all these tweets. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what he's talking about. And then I pull up our uh, version of Fox and Friends from that morning and I, I check the tweets against uh, their coverage. And sure, as you can tell, uh, there are very obvious cases where he's literally, you know, in the White House, watching television, tweeting about what he sees. It's very strange. Yeah, it, it, It's strange, it's weird, it's crazy, and it also helps to have somebody who can explain where the crazy is coming from, and <laughs> it's coming from Fox News. So um, one of the things that he, he grabbed onto from Fox and wouldn't let go of was his imaginary caravan crisis thing, right? Um, can, you, can you explain what what that is and how that turned into a horrible election stunt where he wanted to send 15,000 troops to the border to, as we were just talking about, pick up horse poo? Absolutely. So uh, this uh, is a caravan of migrants that formed in Honduras on October 12th. Um, you know, th- these... Uh, it's obviously very uh, dangerous to try to come from Central America where there is, you know, sort of wide scale uh, civil unrest, uh, you know, violence uh, and uh, obviously a lot of poverty uh, and make it to the U.S. border. And so there have been these caravans organized so that large numbers of people could try to come together. Uh, we had one of these back in April. Uh, basically what happened is, it, you know, it 
made it most of the way through Mexico with people sort of splitting off here and there and the Mexican government breaking it up. And then, you know, a few hundred people made it to the border where they were processed as, you know, under the laws of the United States and international law. And it was not a major crisis. It was not a terrible thing. It was just like something that you have to sort of deal with if you're the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had another one uh, that formed October 12th, started moving through Mexico, almost immediately started getting a lot of coverage on Fox News, uh, which also gave the uh, April caravan a lot of coverage. Uh, you know, they sort of create this impression of a very violent uh, invasion force uh, coming from uh, Central America to like bust open the borders and you know vote illegally and kill lots of people and what have you. And, uh, and that's just to be clear, that's not actually what they're coming to do. No, they're largely coming to like seek asylum, um, claiming that you know they have been oppressed in various ways. Uh, and you know there are ways that we deal with this under the law. It is not a massively uh, complex problem as these things go. Uh, it's not really a crisis. It's, it's certainly. Um, it's sort of an interesting human interest story, an interesting policy story to some extent, uh, but it's not a total disaster. But uh, this is Fox News we're talking about. This is not like normal reporting. And so they instantly created this impression of a very dangerous group of people. Um, you know, uh, so they started talking about it a lot. And then on like, I think the following Tuesday, uh, the 12th was a Friday, uh, Fox and Friends was running coverage of the caravan. And all of a sudden, Donald Trump uh, sends off a tweet in the middle of his executive time uh, threatening to cut off uh, funding to the Honduran government if they don't find some way to to stop this caravan. Right. Um, you know, that creates a sort of another set of coverage, right? Because now the president is talking about it and you start seeing MSNBC and CNN cover it. Right. And also Fox News go into sort of overdrive. Uh, and their angle was, uh, I think, very specific. You had Newt Gingrich on Sean Hannity's show saying, uh, we, the Republicans should try to make this into an election issue. They sh all they should be talking about between now and the election is Kavanaugh and the caravan. Those are the two topics that'll help Republicans, uh, you know, win a majority in the House and the Senate and do great in right. this election. So very clearly. Uh, so say there's, they're saying that on Fox News, these yes. are the points that Republicans should talk about, right? Yes, they're saying, like, make this an election issue. And so Fox tries to make it an election issue. They give it a ton of coverage. Newt Gingrich's comments are, you know, being uh, pre-aired and re-aired on Fox and Friends the next day. The hosts are saying, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. We should totally do this. Uh, and then the president starts tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. Uh, and, you know, he has a habit of saying things that are, uh, you know, lies, conspiracy theories, basically... Uh, demagoguery, uh, and that in and of itself creates another wave of coverage. And so this becomes the major topic of conversation in the elections uh, for the next couple of weeks. Um, you saw, I think we ended up counting 33 hours of Fox <laughs> News coverage uh, before the election, uh, just on the caravan. Uh, also, quite a, hours and hours of coverage on CNN and MSNBC as well. Uh, obviously, that is coverage of a different type. Uh, right. It is often uh, doing a quite good job of pointing out the president's lies and conspiracy theories and so on and so forth. But the problem is, if you provide this much coverage, you do create the impression that it is a major story that people should be panicked about. Right. And you take uh, time away from covering other important issues like health care and the economy and so on and so the forth. The things that voters actually care about. Right. Uh, instead, you focus on what the president very explicitly wants to focus on because he thinks it is good for his election. 
Uh, and, you know, that trickles down throughout the rest of the media. Uh, I did a study on uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, and they had something like 84 articles uh, in the eight days before the election that mentioned the caravan, uh, and I think 25 of them were on the front page. So, again, this is like a major story that that uh, the nation's uh, largest and most powerful news outlets are saying is something that people should be taking very seriously and, and paying a lot of attention to. Uh, and again, pulling attention away from everything else. There's right. sort of a uh, lim- resources are limited, uh, column inches are limited, the amount of time that you have in your show is limited, and sure. if you devote all of this attention to the caravan, you're not devoting it to everything else. So I have this this trick question for you. Um, how many hours have they devoted to the caravan crisis since the election? So we haven't counted this the. Uh, cable news coverage, because that's a sort of a bigger lift for us, though it is quite obvious that it is much less. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think no one is really hiding the ball on that. It's very clear that they're not providing that coverage. Right. Uh, in the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, the news coverage uh, dropped by uh, 54% eight days before the election to eight days after the election. Front page coverage dropped by 68%. So, uh, you know, once the election happened, the president, who had basically explicitly said, I am paying attention to this because I think it helps the Republican Party. Right. Stop talking about it. Right. And then the coverage fell away. So Fox stops covering it. Trump stops covering it. MSNBC, New York Times stopped covering it because Fox isn't covering it because Trump isn't talking about right. it. What we are seeing now, which is always very interesting, is the stories that are, that are literally... Well, I guess we've we've all stopped covering the caravan now. Right. Uh, the There's New York like Times a weird had one. meta thing, yeah, right? Yeah, CNN is doing some coverage now. That's basically well, uh, the president stopped talking about it, and and Fox stopped talking about it, and now we're going to cover how no one's covering it anymore. Right. There was this article in the New York Times earlier this week. I think that I saw that was like the media doesn't talk about this anymore, and you just yeah. want to scream, "You are the media!" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, like. I do think the caravan is is not it's not a non-issue, right? Like there are important human interest and policy stories to be told about this. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. That's not what's happening. I mean, what happened is the media gave it a lot of attention because the president was talking about it. Right. Then he stopped talking about it and the coverage dropped. Like, right. We should all be honest about what's happening here, which is the president having an outsized control over the news hole in which and using it to push conspiracy theories and lies right. uh, and drive the nation's attention away from actually much more pressing issues uh, that the media spends less time on. Right. So, OK, so I have a question for you, Fox News. Um, what are they freaking out about now? Now that the caravan crisis uh, obviously didn't help. Republicans win the election mm-hmm. as much as they tried. So that's over. So there's like no point talking about it anymore. Right. So like what are they freaking out about now and what should we be looking for Trump to freak out about now that the election is over? So what we saw over the weekend was uh, the president on Air Force One traveling to Paris, watching Fox News on the trip and freaking out about what Fox was freaking out about, which was uh, the elections in Florida. Uh, and so his okay. entire, like, the Democrats are coming to steal the election. They've sent this super lawyer to, like, ruin everything. That was all them picking up Fox coverage. Okay. Uh, and so that that was the sort of the thing that, that they were yelling about then. Um, you know, now 
Uh, I think the the new Democratic uh, majority in the House is starting to get some attention. Uh, you know, the purported um, you know socialist policies that they support sure. uh, is getting attention. We could see that uh, in the next few days as well. Um, Unless, you know, Robert Mueller does something and then all bets are off. And <laughs> so so that does seem like something Trump has been thinking about a little bit more this week. Um, I know he had a, a little bit of a meltdown yesterday, I think, talking about Robert Mueller. Mm-hmm. Um, when... Which was not Fox related, by the way. Which was So he I... came up with that on, on his yeah, own. Yeah, oh, I don't know. That was, that was interesting <laughs> because it's the sort of thi- the sort of random freak out that has no obvious uh sort of antecedents where you think, oh, well, maybe he's he must this must be a Fox News thing. But I checked and they had not mentioned Mueller at all before he freaked out. So something mm-hmm. else has set him off. You got to start uh, watching one American News Network, Matt. That might be where it was. Maybe. <laughs> that, so that, might be where it was. that has happened before. Actually, <gasps> he has. Uh, he did. Uh, there was at least <laughs> one instance where he uh, literally tweeted uh, the Chiron from a one American News Network uh, segment. I, this is maybe six months ago, and I don't remember the exact topic, but it has happened. Uh, you know, he does sometimes branch out, and that makes my job more complicated. Um, Do but, you get, like, really frustrated where you're like, damn it, where's the clip? Where's the clip he's I, talking about? And you can't find well, it? <laughs> I mean, yes, and also, you know, I have the sort of personality where I really, really like to be right and get very, very nervous sure. around the possibility of not being right, especially since there are now like a lot of people who follow me specifically for this function. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of times where I'm like, well, it might be this thing, but I probably shouldn't suggest it's this thing because I can't really prove it well enough. And so it just sort of passes by. Um, yeah, the, the sort of, the, the uh, you know, the, the desire to be right about this 100% of the time means that sometimes you'll, you know, if you're, 90% sure you just sort of let it go and then you know that's just sort of the way it is got it so so we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show um, and I I just wanted to raise it again because I'm I'm horrified by it Trump is going out to California this weekend supposedly to take a look at at the damage and devastation of these fires that have killed uh, what is it 63 people now and hundreds of people are missing and it's horrible and most of what he has had to say on Twitter about the fires is uh, that um, liberals need to be better about forest control and that we wouldn't have fires if they were better about forest control, even though the fires are not anywhere near forests. Uh, is he is he getting that kind of crazy talk from Fox? Is he coming up with that himself? Like, wh- where does that kind of total insanity and blaming the victims, you wouldn't be dead in a fire if you... Uh, voted for Republicans or something. Where does that come from? So my theory around this is that, uh, you know, the president doesn't like read or really right. spend any amount of time learning about particular issues. And doesn't so, read, can't read, right. something like that. Can't so, spell, I think I heard somewhere. Right, yes. <laughs> Especially around California issues. He tends to have like a very small number of thoughts that are embedded deeply in his consciousness that right. he returns to time and time and again, right. which is basically uh, water management is all the fault of the environmentalists um, and is a huge problem. And uh, the, the fire fires are caused by poor forest management from the state. Um, this doesn't really make a lot of sense since I think like 3% of the California forests are controlled by the state and the overwhelming percentage are controlled by the federal government, which means it's actually- That's him. Right. Like it's his responsibility to actually deal with these problems. Right. Uh, and I believe that, you know, he's been sort of 
calling for budget reductions for the programs that deal with forestry out there. So, you know, maybe get on that and try to you know, do your job would be would be useful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always a crapshoot when he like actually goes out among the public and tries to like learn about things from you know, a first person perspective rather than like through the television. <laughs> right. And so it's really anybody's guess what is going to happen when he goes out there. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll sort of see. Okay. So, so I know, you know, on election night or immediately after the election, Trump was saying it was an amazing success for Republicans. And then apparently somebody said to him, um, as he would say, sir, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and so he like kind of caught on that, oh, it was bad. And oh, the Democrats might be coming after me now. And if they do, I'm going to come after them. It was crazy. Right. So like what has Fox had to say other than the socialists are taking over? Like if we assume that Trump's understanding of things mostly comes from how Fox explains it to him. Mm-hmm. What does Trump understand at this point about the election and about what is coming for him in January when Nancy Pelosi becomes speaker again, because come on, that's going to happen. And Democrats have subpoena power in the House. Like, what is Fox telling Trump to think about all of that? There's sort of two levels of stuff, right? One is the sort of uh, policy area where they're basically saying, you know, big socialist grabs, Medicare for all, all sorts of like huge government spending programs that that uh, the Democrats support now. Um, I mean, I think largely that's not really going to come to much with the Republican Senate that's not going to move any legislation about that. Uh, sure. And so we could see some sort of, you know, him sort of taking that on and trying to sort of demagogue around the policy stuff. Uh, but the other thing that they're saying is that um, the the investigations are coming, that, you know, all of these Democrats have been saying for the last two years uh, that they want to investigate all of these different uh, terrible things that the Trump administration has done. And, you know, the the uh, Fox coverage is going to frame all of this as overreach, as, you know, going after uh, the president, uh, you know, for political reasons. Mm-hmm. But like at some level, the Congress is supposed to provide oversight of the executive branch. Like that's a, I read that somewhere. Yeah, right? <laughs> like that, that. That is just sort of a basic function of the way government works. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the investigations are coming, and he's going to. I, I think that he is probably looking at that and is quite nervous at what they're going to find. Got it. Got so. And just to be clear, Fox has always consistently held the position that oversight is bad and Congress should never <laughs> investigate anything, right? Like when Obama was president, Fox was, you know, saying that Republicans investigating Benghazi was bad. Yeah, I mean, so the, the Benghazi Select Committee was like very much a Fox project. It was something that they had been publicly calling for for weeks before uh, the House actually got around to forming uh, the Benghazi Select Committee. You know, it was... Uh, you know, Fox was also providing the sort of coverage that created this impression of a stand down order that resulted in, you know, Hillary Clinton having blood on her hands over the deaths of four people in Benghazi. Uh, yeah, they provided, uh, I, you know, literally, I think I think we counted something like a thousand segments about Benghazi uh, in an 18 month period uh, on Fox evening coverage alone. Um, and it was, you know, it's the sort of it's the same stuff over and over again, right? The same talking points that they return to again sure. and again. Uh, and this is why Fox is quite dangerous, right? Because they just sort of create this impression of overwhelming malfeasance uh, of, of uh, for Democrats and overwhelming, you know, uh, just 
that the the, the Republicans have done nothing wrong whatsoever, right. uh, and uh, that creates quite a problem. Yeah. Okay. So so with Democrats coming to power and and holding hearings and conducting investigations, are we going to see Fox cover that? And and how are like will they show the hearings in the way that they showed Republican hearings when Obama was president? Or like does Fox even know how to deal with what's coming? Yeah, they're going to counter program. Uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham was on Hannity the other night and basically said, you know, if the Democrats want to investigate Russia in the House, that's fine. But I, you know, but basically said that if he's the head of the Judiciary Committee, which he will probably be, he's going to conduct investigations into whether uh, Hillary Clinton uh, was let off for email abuse because of political bias. Uh, and look into the supposed malfeasance of the FBI in the early stages of the Russian investigation. So he's basically going to pick up the House investigation that Devin Nunez uh, has been conducting, Mm -hmm. port it over to the Senate, uh, and basically do the same stuff to try to create this impression of uh, FBI and DOJ malfeasance uh, and try to let uh, Trump off the hook. And so I assume that Fox is going to cover that. They're going to avoid the House hearings. So there will be more Hillary emails. Yes. Yes, there will be. The the Hillary email saga will not end. Uh, As we all know, the most important issue of all time uh, is proper email maintenance. Absolutely. Uh, It was what the American people cared the most about uh, in 2016. Uh, and to this day, I think across the country, people are like, damn, I need to know, I need to know more about this email story. Right, right. There's like caravan crisis, Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. Hillary emails. Yeah. Watch out for and controlling again, forests. This is, this, is, this is quite similar to the caravan story. We're like, I'm sure that there is like an actual like there probably are people who are deeply, deeply concerned with. Uh, ensuring that federal officials uh, follow proper communications procedures. Mm -hmm. But Donald Trump is not one of them. And I know that Donald Trump is not one of them because it's been reported that he's been using his private, his personal cell phone to make calls to Sean Hannity and others uh, from the White House, which uh, the Chinese and the Russians have reportedly been listening in on. And he's been told this and he just keeps doing it. So... What, so what like what what do Trump and Hannity talk about? I mean, is this something that we even want to think about? Is this not safe for work? Like when Trump talks to Sean Hannity at night, what are they talking I about? Mean, the reporting is literally that Sean Hannity is referred to in the White House as the shadow chief of staff. And that the president is is having conversations with him about policy and personnel and like he is a, a deeply important personal advisor to the president on the side while simultaneously having a nightly show on Fox. Um, It is uh, certainly a weird and unprecedented thing uh, that leads to situations like Sean Hannity going on stage at the last Trump rally before uh, the midterms. And, you know, this is just a a thing that happens now. Fox hosts campaigning with the president uh, and Fox basically puts out a statement saying, well, we don't like it. It's not supposed to happen. What are With, you going to do? <laughs> I mean, there's no, does not name Sean Hannity or Janine Pirro who actually did it. Doesn't promise that it won't happen again because they can't really promise that because they have no actual apparent control over Sean Hannity. They can't fire him or punish him or suspend Apparently him. Apparently not. Or... I mean, it's interesting. We, we have these um, every six months or so, sometimes less, it's like every four months or so. Uh, some media reporter writes a story based on internal sources at Fox News in which uh, Fox, the people from Fox's news side 
uh, say that they are just shocked, shocked at this, these terrible things that Sean Hannity is doing, uh, and they don't understand why no one's reining him in from the, uh, you know, from Fox's executive core. It's like, come on, guys, like, maybe, maybe we could have bought this with the Seth Rich thing, like, 18 months ago, but there's been three more cases where this is happening. I mean, it's, it is perhaps time to acknowledge where you work and what their incentives are and sort of how things operate there. Right. And and Fox has loved Donald Trump for a very long time. I mean, I'm I'm sure you remember, I remember writing about Donald Trump long before the guy was running for president when he was just a regular on Fox and Friends. Right. And he would he would call in and he would talk about, you know, Obama's birth certificate and, you know, horrible stupid racist stuff like that and so it was you know, really a, a proving ground for him frankly where he right? would like hear what conservatives were interested in and learn how to talk about it on sort of a weekly basis right so like trump is sort of this like fox product mm-hmm. and they got their guy in the white house and um it, didn't they actually get another one of their guys in the white house isn't isn't bill shine yes Explain explain Bill Shine for us in 60 seconds or less. So Bill Shine <laughs> was a Sean Hannity uh, producer on his show who uh, then moved up through the ranks at Fox, through the executive corps under Roger Ailes. Then when Roger Ailes uh, was fired because of, you know, the years and years of sexual abuse, um, he uh, became sort of the, the, I think, the co-president there was was a top executive. Uh, and finally, he too was pushed out uh probably because of his role in you know, securing the Roger Ailes culture of sexual abuse for so long. Uh, and then uh, you know, took a couple months off and then waltzed over to the White House, where he's now communications director. Meanwhile, the previous communications director, Hope Hicks, uh, has now gone over to Fox, where she is the top communications uh, person for this sort of uh, over company uh, that Fox is a part of now. So is it an exaggeration to say that Fox is helping run the White House and the White House is kind of helping run Fox? Yeah, it's really hard to tell where one ends and the other begins at this point. They, for all intents and purposes, merged. It's a corporate merger. God bless America. Thank you, Matt, so much for coming in. Thank you, everybody, for letting me sit in the big girl chair this week at the Bill Press Show. Kylie Joy Gray, managing editor at ShareBlue. I hope to come back if I didn't burn the whole place down. Have a great weekend, everyone. This is The Bill Press Show.